26 weeks, 182 days, just four hours shy of exactly one half of a year. Since we gathered together in this place as a spiritual family to worship the Lord, March 15th, seems like an eternity ago, and in in many ways, it just seems like yesterday. But here's what I know. As much as we are back, we're really not back to where we were. We are going forward to where God has us, where he's leading us. And the truths that we are finding to be real today are going to be revolutionary in the way we live our lives going forward. Here's what I'm convinced of. The church is not a place we go. The church is who we are. It's not a building that we could build, but it is a building that God is building. But the church is also not just this loose, dispersed, disconnected spiritual family. It is God's gathered covenantal family. And so it's important that we be together, and we have been able to do so in various ways. But this is really good. Yeah, you could clap for that. This is really good, and I'm grateful that you have persisted. I'm grateful that others who cannot be here for good reason can join us by live stream. And I'm grateful that God has helped us to grow and increase even in this season. I'm grateful you RSVP'd for today. And if you didn't, you need to leave right now. No, I'm teasing. You, you, you can stay. You can stay. Uh, I'm grateful for all of the musicians and the sound team and the media team and our ushering team and all the people that made this happen. Yes, I'm grateful for them. Let me tell you today about James Smith. James lives in Mobile, Alabama, but he's originally from Kansas City, Missouri. He, um, he went to Auburn University, which I try not to hold against him, but what redeemed him for me is that later he went on to the University of South Alabama, go Jags, my alma mater, and he got his, ma- his master's degree in education in 1983, just a few years before Donna and I graduated. James is, uh, he's very much interested in politics and he likes renewable energy. And he's a patron of the Mobile Symphony Orchestra. But don't let that limit you. He has a varied music taste. Uh, You can imagine that James loves his Kansas City Chiefs. He's a big Patrick Mahomes fan. But the thing I can't figure out about James is that he also likes the New Orleans Saints. And I, that doesn't make sense. Except that in Mobile, that's the only football game you ever get to watch. But but I like James because he and I both like the Atlanta Braves. Now you might think that James and I are really good friends. But you would be wrong. I don't know James. You see, I heard Matt Chandler uh, talking about James Smith, and he said that he asked Siri, Siri, what is the most common male name in the United States? And Siri said, James Smith. And so I did what any normal person would do. I went on the Facebook, 
And I did a little Facebook stalking. The most common name, I found a James Smith that I didn't know, and I just stalked him a little bit. Now, don't look at me like that. You know you've done it too. It's a little creepy, I get it, but it's okay, don't worry. We don't know each other. He doesn't know me, and I don't know him, and according to Facebook, we don't even know any of the same people. So we're good, uh, unless he happens to subscribe to our podcast, that will be a little awkward. Here's my point. We can know a lot of facts about a person, but we still don't know them. We can know a lot of details, a lot of statistics, a lot of historical context, but we still don't know them. To truly know someone you have to go beyond the surface details. You, you have to go deeper than what data tells you. You have to be more intimate than just a few facts that get revealed. And that's certainly true if you are a follower of Jesus. To know Jesus means that it's something more intimate than just some knowledge in your head about him. Walking as his disciple is more than an intellectual exercise. It is more than spouting off some historical facts or wooing people and wowing them with our knowledge that we picked up from last week's sermon. Over the next 10 to 12 weeks, we're going to look at, as James mentioned, this concept of knowing Jesus, specifically around this question that he asked to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And as we look at these critical claims, we're going to specifically look at seven or eight statements that Jesus makes about himself, what's called the I am statements of Jesus. As Judith and Priscilla and Patrick and Melody brought me to tears this morning, as they were answering that question, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Here's what I want to ask you. Ask yourself the same question. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? We looked over the last three or four months as we are live streaming about the book of Revelation. And namely, we realized that Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ more than it's about predicting future events. And so when we see Jesus revealed, it changes us. Well, this is just a continuation of a look at Jesus, not so we can know more about him, but so that we can know him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. And aren't the kids doing great this morning? Yes, wonderful job, guys. And uh, it's okay if they, they're not. It's not going to bother me. So uh, don't just relax, parents. We're good. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Critical phrase right there. Righteousness of God depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. As a young person, I love this chapter. Later, he goes on to say in the old King James Version that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended. I love that verse. That was my life verse for many, many years. Lord, I want to apprehend that for which you apprehended me. I want to be about the purpose you called me to be. And Paul is exemplifying in this chapter that his surpassing uh, chief ambition is to know Christ. He considers everything else to be a loss. Something the Bible calls rubbish. And rubbish is really just a nice way of putting it. Uh, Your Bible might be a little more graphic. It might use the term dung or garbage. But even those terms are really kind of nice compared to what Paul is actually saying. He's really saying, well, excrement. Everything else is waste compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Everything else should be flushed compared to the knowledge of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't mean to be vulgar, and neither did Paul. He's just very descriptive. And it helps us understand exactly what he's trying to communicate. He's seeing that the surpassing value of knowing Jesus is greater than everything, and everything doesn't just pale in comparison. It doesn't even hold water. It's not even in the same category. It shouldn't even be considered the same way. Knowing Jesus. This phrase, to know. It's in the Greek, the word innosko. And it indicates an intimate knowledge, a personal, intimate experience with another person. Innosko is used numerous times in the New Testament and It's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it defines or translates the Hebrew word yada into inosko, to know, to know. On several occasions, this word inosko is used to describe marital intimacy, The intimacy that a married couple, husband and wife, man and woman, would share. Like in Genesis 4.1 where it says, Now Adam, hinosko, Eve. Yada, that translated into Greek in the Septuagint, hinosko. Adam knew Eve. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. A lot of single women have said the same thing. That's a time to laugh. No, never mind. 
Now, I, I want to keep this sermon as G-rated as possible, but you're already thinking, man, he's already <laughs> moved into some really questionable territory today. Maybe we liked him better when he was on the live stream. We could just turn it off. The point is, is that I know my wife and she knows me in ways that you will never know. We know each other. And I don't just mean the obvious knowing that leads to a baby. <laughs> I mean, we do have four of those. Uh, they're all grown now and they're having their own babies. But even more than that kind of intimacy, I'm talking about we know each other. She knows me like you will never know me. And I know her like you will never know her. That kind of knowing is what Paul is saying he wants to have with Jesus. That kind of intimacy. She knows me because we live life together. And she knows my ups and my downs, my good and my bad. She knows my desires and insecurities. She knows where I have issues and where I struggle. She knows my dreams and my passions and my fears and my concerns. She knows my victories. She knows it all because she walks with me. She has more than a computer printout of all crisp facts that you can all find somewhere. She knows me personally because she lives with me. She loves me. She knows me. In every use of this Hebrew word yada and Greek word inosko, the focus is on the most intimate of knowing. It's an unvarnished, unblemished, covenantal knowledge of another person. It's a knowledge that is dynamic. It's never static. It's always vibrant. It's ever moving, it's personal, it's maturing, it's growing out of this relationship between the person who knows and the person who is known. And that makes sense when you think about the prayer that Jesus made for his disciples in John 17, verse 1, the second portion. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse three says, and this is eternal life, that they may inosco, that they may know you intimately, vibrantly, dynamically, relationally, that they may ennosk you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God because he made us to know him. That's the purpose for humanity, that we could be in fellowship with him. For Paul to know Christ was always his chief ambition. And what it meant for him was powerfully descriptive and personal. Here's what he said. First, it meant knowing the power of his resurrection. Not just the facts that Jesus had raised from the dead. He knew that, that it was a historical happening. But that he might know the 
power of the resurrection. That he might have the same dynamic spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, quickening his mortal body, operating in his life. That's how he knew he would know Jesus because that power was functioning and operating in his life. The resurrection of Jesus is such a grand historical moment, but it's more powerful in what it guarantees for us. You see, the the resurrection guarantees that this life is worth living and that the physical body is indeed sacred. For Jesus' body was raised from the dead. And it also guarantees that death is not the end of life and on the world that we are living. There is so much more than what we see and experience here. And finally, it is the guarantee that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God. Oh, that the power of his resurrection would be known by his people where we no longer fear death because we understand nothing can separate us from God, not even death, because life goes beyond that moment of death. The power of his resurrection. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Oh, we'd love it if he stopped there, wouldn't we? Yeah, we like the resurrection power. But you know what you need to have before you get resurrection? Death. (laughs) Sufferings. Things that don't go our way. Having to die to ourselves and put on a mask. Having to die to ourselves and consider the, the needs and concerns and issues of another person. Having to die to ourselves. Entering, sharing in his sufferings. Paul doesn't stop with the resurrection power. It would be great if he did, but he would never get the resurrection power if he didn't share in Christ's sufferings. So he says, and to know, to share in his sufferings, to fellowship his sufferings. You know, throughout Paul's writings, this is a theme. He talks about a really powerful mystery. And he says it over and over again. And and basically what he says is that in some strange way, when we suffer, we are entering into the sufferings of Christ. We're knowing him in ways we'd never know him otherwise. Now I want to ask you, have you suffered? Have you suffered? Not because you were stupid. We've all had that suffering. But if you suffered in ways that didn't seem fair, it was unjust, it didn't be, it wasn't what you thought it would be, have you shared in his sufferings? James read for us earlier, Philippians 2, have this mind in you. And that's the kind of mind we have to have in engaging in the sufferings of Christ. Paul said it this way to the Corinthian church, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. To suffer for the faith is not a penalty. It's a privilege. To know Christ means that we share the way he walked and we share the cross he bore and we share the death he died. And finally, we share the life that he will live forevermore that we might know you 
and all the glory of your resurrected power functioning in our life, even now in the middle of all this mess, that we might know the power of your resurrection, that we one day ourselves will be resurrected with you. But in the meantime, the power of Christ operating in us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, quickening our lives and thoughts and emotions and the way we live. And also that we might know and share in the fellowship of your sufferings. To, to Paul, knowing Christ is not a theory or even a theology. Knowing Christ is a relationship. To Paul, it is to know Christ with such intimacy that in the end, we are united with him as we ourselves with those being united with those in the earth. And that just as we share in their experiences, like I share in Donna's experience as my wife, Christ invites us in to sharing his experiences with him. So, this morning, who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? Do you say Jesus is a good man, a great teacher, or is he Christ Jesus, your Lord? Because if he's Christ Jesus and he's revealed himself to you that way, what he says should make a big difference in how you live. Who do you say that he is? Are you growing in a knowledge of God? Not in a factual way, a fact-finding way, but in an intimate, vibrant, dynamic relationship with him. Is it about you growing? Is what you know of him and how you know him going to be different tomorrow than it was yesterday? Will it be more next year than it was last year? Will it be growing and ever increasing in you? Because that's what knowing is all about. That's what intimate knowing in Nesco is all about. Do you live with him in such a way that you learn things about him that you've never experienced any other way? That's the Jesus that we want to know? Is your chief ambition to know him in the way that Paul describes? Considering everything else as worthless. Everything else in life, achievements, accomplishments, everything that might even be good, it's wasted. It's as waste compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus. And... Do you know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in death so that one day you may attain to the resurrection of the dead? Amen. We have had the privilege of having my wife share with us over the last six months during our live stream, and it's kind of become a signature piece. And so because uh, it just seems so good, I'm going to ask her to come and we're going to share for a couple more minutes and pray for you. And then we'll close with a worship song this morning. You can take your mask off. Got it. That was really wonderful.
wonderful. There's a book by A.W. Tozer um, called The Knowledge of the Holy, and one of the quotes in it says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And this series that Chris is entering into um, to expand our knowledge of God, our knowledge of the Lord, um, it is a defining moment for us individually, but also as a church. I just want to read one passage of scripture before we pray. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And then he goes on to say, this treasure, this knowledge, this treasure we have in earthen vessels, vessels of clay to show that the incredible power of God is from him and not from us. And that's because as we step into the knowledge of God, it lights our life. It provides, it provides productivity. It provides creativity. It makes people um, want to come close, get next to us, figure out what makes us like we are. It's the knowledge of him that makes us radiant in the world, that makes other people hungry. Not because it's us, because it's the earth and vessel thing to make sure we don't think it's us. <laughs> the light of the knowledge, that is something he does. Right. And it's so important that that light continues to shine in our own hearts so that our witness in the earth is pure and true and trustworthy, that it points truly to him and not to ourselves. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that Let's we would pray. let the light shine. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for continuing to talk to us, both personally and corporately, about leaning in, coming closer, knowing you, not just about you, but knowing you in the most intimate way possible. Because it's that knowledge that expands our capacity to hear you, to obey you, to serve your purposes in the earth, to draw others in by the ministry of reconciliation. All of it is possible because you can be known. And I pray that you would give us faith for more knowledge of you, that we would be hungry, that we would be hearing, yes. that we would obey all that we can know and hear, that we would be good stewards of the light that you've put in these earthen vessels. Lord Jesus, our lives are full of a lot of things, even good things, achievements, accomplishments, pedigree, privilege, opportunities, things that we worked hard for, 
But I pray that you would help us to be like Paul, who would see all of that all piled up, all the pile of human endeavor and achievement, and recognize it's nothing but refuge compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to know you more fully, to ask ourselves the question, who are you? Who are you to me right now, today, in this situation, in this season, with my family, with my spouse, in my work situation, at school, and how I'm loving my neighbor, in all of these matters, God, who are you? Be Christ Jesus, our Lord in every area of our lives. We surrender to you. And I pray that even this season of restraint around activity would be a wide open vista of God's glory and grace. The wide open space that you lead us into of knowing you, not just things about you, but truly knowing you intimately, vibrantly, fluidly, increasingly. We pray, Lord, for our community and all those that are listening today. May they have this revelation, the revealing and unveiling of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?